Today, we're going to be exploring why financial brand marketing has a marketing problem and what you can do to overcome those challenges. Hey, it's Audrey Kanata, Operations Lead here at the Digital Growth Institute. And joining me for today's conversation is James Robert Lay, founder and CEO of the Digital Growth Institute and author of the best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth. Welcome to the show, James Robert. Audrey, it is good to share time with you today. Absolutely. So before we get into talking about marketing and the disconnect uh, with marketing, what is going good for you personally or professionally? So we just had a great movie night with the kids and watched a fantastic film. Now, we we don't watch a lot of TV as a family. We don't watch a lot of movies as, as a family, but we watched a film um, called Gran Turismo. And it was the the epic hero journey if you will around cars and and i think this is the, the neat thing i'm not big into racing i was not big into racing my oldest son has gotten big into racing and so i've almost taken a love through him into this whole new culture and so watching ford versus ferrari and now gran turismo and some of the parallels between the different narratives they definitely follow the story arc type of the hero's journey but very well done and and, and such a good film that i would recommend others watch as well yeah absolutely i love that i love that you're able to take an interest in something that uh you otherwise wouldn't have if, if it wasn't for your son. And I think, didn't you, you were telling me before about uh, this movie before we hit record and you mentioned about um, like the marketing side of things. Yes. Wasn't there? Super, super fascinating of the, in, in this movie, Gran Turismo was based on a true story. So Gran Turismo is a video game for PlayStation. It's a racing uh, game where you race cars and suppose I know, I've never played it, but, you know, Mario Kart, I think, is where I, I reached the limit in, in my racing okay. days, but um, very realistic. And so the uh, marketing leadership at Nissan um, saw an opportunity because 80 million players around the world were playing Gran Turismo. And they said, well, you know what? What if we created a contest and almost brought someone from the digital virtual world of racing and put them behind the wheel of a real race car. How transformative that story would be and to see where it really took and how that is continuing to impact brand and brand awareness and the collaboration between Nissan and, and Sony PlayStation, Gran Turismo. It's really an interesting narrative at a much more macro level than not just this one particular film. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that kind of brings us into our topic today. And I know this is one that I'm sure a lot of our listeners can uh, connect with. Um, you shared with me not too long ago this article from the Wall Street Journal, and it was titled The Divide Between CMOs and CEOs is Growing. Uh, why is there this disconnect uh, between marketing leaders uh, and CEOs? And we see this a lot in our program. What is the reason do you think behind this? And it's specifically marketing. You know, this is specifically targeting that marketing role, not sales, not operations, not finance. What is going on here? You know, this is something that I have been studying now for at least, I would say, since 2015. Yeah. 
I wrote about this in Banking on Digital Growth, and it comes down to one word. It's fear. Hmm. It's, it's, it's fear of the unknown. It is a lack of understanding from the C-suite into the role of marketing. It's what is, what is marketing? How has marketing changed? Marketing's changing at an exponential rate. Why? Because consumers are changing at an exponential rate. Why? Because technology is and the competition is changing at an exponential rate. How do we prove what's working to begin with in the first place? I want to say the average tenure for a CMO is around 18 months more wow. or less. And so that's not a lot of time for a CMO to get in there and make some positive progress because by the time that they go in, they do a listening tour, they learn the lay of the land, they talk to internal stakeholders, they talk to external stakeholders, maybe they get to apply and implement a little bit of strategy, and then the CMO is off to the next thing. Um, now, so, are, the, are the CMOs exiting or are they being shown the door? Well, it's interesting that you say that. I received two direct messages um, very recently from a couple of marketing executives, high-level senior executives at financial brands, and both are feeling frustrated with their current organizations. Um, one organization essentially has clipped the wings of marketing and has pushed marketing into a tactical implementer role. And so I can see this one particular individual probably will not be there much longer, already is looking for somewhere where they feel valued and respected for their knowledge and their expertise. The other organization, it is clearly a misunderstanding into the role of marketing at a senior C-suite level, I think there's opportunity there mm -hmm. to, for them to provide some perspective, to provide some knowledge and education. But I would say a good way to frame this is marketing has a marketing problem, not externally, right? but it's an internal problem, if you will. Yeah, so I, I want to come back to the first the the first uh, CMO that you talked to with the getting their wings clipped. But with the second one, one of the points in this article, it's a statistic that says that nine out of ten CEOs say that the role of marketing is clearly defined at their companies. Uh, now, on the other hand, only twenty two percent of CMOs say that their job is well defined. Where is this disconnect? How do we get so far off on our expectations? It's a changing world, particularly through the lens of financial services. Um, you know, the way that people shop, the way that people buy has massively transformed over the last two decades. Right. It's transformed a lot even over the last five to 10 years. And with these transformations of consumer behavior, that lack of knowledge is impacting the go-to-market strategies for financial brands. And so historically, in a quote-unquote broadcast world, you could go out buy a list, do some direct mail within a three mile radius of your branches, 
and expect to see some type of lift. Sure. So direct response marketing, if you will, but you're only going to influence buying behaviors for those who are in the market for whatever it is that you're quote unquote promoting. But now with the rise of the internet, the way that people buy has changed. They're now in control of the buying journey. They're going out and searching and researching and gaining some knowledge into how they might be able to solve their problems. That that buying behavior has even transformed so much that within particular demographics, they're not even going to Google anymore to do this type of exploratory research. They're going to TikTok. Right. And if you think about what TikTok was in 2018, 2019, it was musically. It was a it was an app that kids were dancing on. So within three or four years, we've seen this rapid transformation of people researching differently and to try to bring that knowledge in to a financial brand yes you can work and educate a marketing team on these transformations but if others within the organizations whether that be the ceo or the coo or the cto or the cfo or the clo and all of their supporting teams if they don't understand these transformations of buying behavior, they're still going to be have a mental construct like people are buying like it's 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. So why is it? Why is it that? So we know marketing is evolving. Those in the marketing department understand that. What? Where's the disc? Why doesn't the CEO and those in the C-suite, why are they not aware of these changes? And I'm curious how much maybe the demographic has to do with it. You know, historically, if you think about CEOs and those in the C-suite. It's not, it's definitely not a, it's not a ageism thing, if you will. It's an experience thing. Um, sure. And that's one of the reasons when working with organizations over the past, I would say six to nine months, Leading up into 2024 and beyond, I've been asking, how old were you in 1994? Mm. It's a very uncomfortable conversation to have, but everyone's laughing within five minutes because I have a hypothesis that how old an individual was in 1994, if they were even born in 1994, is directly influencing how they perceive the world today. Um, And to your point, it's perspective, it's context and framing. And once again, so this has nothing to do about age. Age is just a number. It's about experience and how we each experience the world through our own lens of reality. And if one say was in 1994, maybe 30 or 40 years old, that would make them 60, late 60s, early 70s now. That was a very different contextual experience than say talking to a leader who was maybe 10 in 1994, who would be in their early 40s. And I think a lot of times, senior leaders and executives have a perspective that, well, whenever I was 20, this is how the world was. Whenever I was 30, this is how the world was. Whenever I was 40, this is how the world was. Whenever I was 50, this is how the world was. And they think that the world is now for a 20, 30, or 40 year old, 50 year old is exactly like it was back then. And we know that it's not, it's exponentially different. So this requires a lot of what I call digital empathy, being able to step outside of our world context, let go of what we know if 
if you will, and gain a whole new perspective that reframes a path forward into the future. So how do leaders do this? You know, if, if we're thinking about a CMO and we know this to be true, we understand it's a perspective, it's an experience thing. We get it. We know something has to change. How do you delicately go to your CEO or your board and say, look, things are different now. The world is changing exponentially. We have to make a change. We have to transform or we may not be here in the next five, 10 years. How do you say that in a way that is going to come across, um, you know, not defensively and not, you know, as if you know more and you know better? Well, if we were having this conversation, I would say a decade ago, and you asked me that, I would have basically been like, you're all wrong. And <laughs> you won't get very far with that type of an approach. So lessons learned. Uh, there's a there's an even better way to approach this, and that's with a lot of empathy. Um, saying, "Hey, you know, I understand that the world has transformed, but can I ask you a couple of questions? First, in your own mind, what what is what does digital growth mean to you, Mister or Mrs. CEO? What does it mean to you, digital growth?" And then ask the C-suite and then maybe ask some other senior leaders and just to kind of just do a quick assessment, if you will, of their perspective. Now, knowing what we know and having probably asked a you know, thousand plus leaders at this point, that same exact question through diagnostic work, the responses are going to come back. Well, digital growth is online banking. It's mobile yeah. banking. And I think we need to pause right there because that those channels don't lead to new growth. Those are more of service and delivery channels. Okay. Well, let's go back. Well, how, how do you know how people shop and buy? That's a, that's a poor question because it's a binary. How do people shop and buy for a financial product? What does that journey look like? And from based upon what you know, and ask them to kind of just give a, an answer, just talk it out. And I think at that point, you'll start to see some breakdown into, well, we don't really know. We don't really understand how people shop and buy. We might have some assumptions. That's a good word. We might have assumptions of how, but do those assumptions match reality? And then you, then you follow this up. Okay. And this is really an, it's kind of a existential question, but what is marketing? So asking people, not just outside of marketing, I've also asked this question to marketing teams. Oh, yeah. And I think there's a little bit of confusion into what, what is marketing? And if we distill marketing down and, and the way I, I frame this is what does marketing mean to you in one word? And I think a lot of responses, particularly outside of marketing, come back, well, it's ads, it's email, it's SEO, it's all of these tactical things, it's media. And I think that lack of, of perspective, it's that lack of knowledge, it's a lack of perspective. A lack of knowledge leads to a lack of perspective. That lack of perspective, that's why marketing struggles. Because if we think marketing is tactical, well, then 
marketing internally is going to be viewed as kids that play with paint and crayons and the glorified in-house kinkos there to serve the last minute needs of the different business lines. But what if marketing is just one word? What if marketing is nothing more than influence? And the way that we have the potential to influence people that's transformed and the way that we're trying to influence people is no longer influencing anyone because if you think about marketing through the lens of influence, the marketing that we're doing today is going to be the seeds that we're planting in harvesting crop from, fruit from, six, nine, 12 months from now. Yeah. What, what we're harvesting today are seeds that we planted six, nine, 12 plus months before particularly in this new type of world that we're living in that is a digital first journey where people are in control of their buying journeys. That's a great point. And, and I want to come back to that because I have another article uh, that you shared with me as well. But going back to that conversation with the CEO, with the board, and we're having these talks, what role does does data play? Can we come? I mean, we've done a lot of research. We have a lot of data out there that says how people are are shopping and, and buying these financial products. And we know that a lot of bankers, you know, we, we know the banker's brain, very logical, very rational. What would your uh, recommendation be for, say, presenting? Look, this is the data. This is what we're seeing out here in the marketplace. You can't argue with that. It's interesting when I work with these senior leadership teams and these boards of directors, I take a mixed approach of guiding them on their own journey of where they have just seen transformations through the lens of digital technology, the internet, et cetera, and how fast those transformations have transpired. The eyes begin to kind of light up with wonder and curiosity. Like I've never really thought of it this way before. Then you start to cross-reference their own personal experience with the data. And I think it's important, and I, and, I'm, and I always frame and reference this, behind every data point is DNA. Because it's very easy to, to hear, for example, well, 60 to 85% of all uh, people who start an application online abandon that application. What what does that even mean? Well, no, let me let me reframe this for you. 6 to 8 people out of 10 abandon or might be abandoning your online application. What does that even mean? Okay, let's just go with the number 8. 8 out of 10 people are abandoning your online application. What's the average Lifetime value of a new account holder, or what's the average net interest income from a loan product? And let's extrapolate that out now over the course of 12, 24, 36 months. Now you're 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 you have a multi-million dollar either A problem or B opportunity. I prefer to look at things from the lens of an opportunity. So now we're taking their contextual experience. You're overlaying that with data that is being driven by DNA, i.e. people, behavior, human action, or inaction in this particular example. And then you're tying it directly to 
their performance or lack of performance at their financial brand. Let's solve that problem. That's a great point. And we've talked a lot about that when it comes to change. You know, you almost have to see the, the hurt in front of you. And we're in this, you know, op- this, um, this case, you said opportunity, but you have to see it almost to believe it, yeah. to realize that you have to change. And I think that's very powerful. When you see those numbers, hey, this is the opportunity out there. I mean, how many times have you seen a complete shift in people once you lay those numbers out? It's, it's, it really is transformative. It's, a, it's a, I, I liken this to, you know, the, the work of a physician and the work of physicians are way more important than the work that we're doing here. Physicians are going out, they're really saving, saving people's lives. But I will tell you, I truly believe that the work that we're, we're doing in collaboration with financial brands it has a potential to transform people's lives, knowing the connection between a person's financial well-being and their physical well-being, their, their financial well-being and their mental well-being. So the, the importance of this work is, is not to be diminished whatsoever. When people gain an awareness, when leadership gains an awareness at either the loss or the opportunity, it becomes something to focus on, but then it also creates a secondary challenge. How, how are we going to do this? Because mm-hmm. this becomes the greatest transformative opportunity that has nothing to do about technology because I think the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, well, the problem is a digital problem. Let's go just go buy more technology and it's going to solve the problem. No. Technology doesn't solve this problem. Human transformation is the path forward beyond this problem because there are four levels, if you will, for human transformation. All transformation that, that leads to future growth, A, starts by telling the truth about where you've been, about where you're at, about where you want to go. So we have clarity about that. Well, what do we need? We need training and education to to provide that path forward to help the unaware become aware of what the opportunities are. And then we also need to create space and time to think about how to move forward to those next steps. But the four levels of transformation, transformation starts with the self. It doesn't start at the organization level. It starts with the individual level because teams are made up of individuals. When you transform the self, you transform the teams. When you transform teams of individuals, you begin to transform the organization. And so there's a very methodical step-by-step approach here needed to needed for human transformation to coincide with quote unquote digital transformation or cultural transformation or brand transformation. This is a, this is a people opportunity. And that kind of brings us to the next point. Um, You know, you've got the individual, the team, the organization, and this article, the second article that you shared with me uh, from McKinsey. And it says that CEOs who place marketing at the core of their growth strategy are twice as likely to have greater than 5% annual growth compared with their peers. So the numbers are out there. Now, how do we get the buy-in? Well, how do we get the buy-in of the other departments? Let's, CEO? Let's, let's apply this even further into the work that we've seen. We've seen organizations that have integrated marketing marketing knowledge across the organization, whether that be you know within other business lines, 
within the C-suite, maybe even within the board of directors, they have experienced digital growth that's not associated with online banking, but creating well-defined systems and processes that are framed around the modern consumer journey that increase traffic to their website, generate even more leads, and exponentially increase loans and deposits. They've seen loan and deposit growth coming through their digital channels increase between 300%, 500%. The most that I've ever seen is 1500%. And for this one particular organization, they took their digital channel, i.e. their website, which was at the time their most underperforming channel to then surpass the performance of all other physical channels. That required cultural transformation. And how do they do it? Four steps. It started by Really, I think the marketing team did a great job of creating some internal awareness that, yes, we have a problem. We're sick. We need help. And if we don't take this action, we're probably going to experience some pain going forward. Were they going to go, quote unquote, out of business? Were they going to get merged? Maybe, maybe not. But in this one particular organization, they were able to accelerate growth in a time where others were struggling to grow. And that started by helping others within the organization, not just on marketing, but across the organization on specific, you know, leaders on specific teams to see things from a different perspective. They saw and things, how did they do that? training, education. So this particular organization went through the Digital Growth University. And, and I would say, I, truth be told, I probably caused some problems along the way, not for this organization, but through my own learning and experience here, um, we would historically, if we were having this conversation, say maybe a decade ago, we would have only just worked with marketing teams at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem was is marketing, they were growing, they were learning, they were seeing things from a different perspective, but everyone else was still stuck in the past, their old paradigm. And so that was creating a gap. And that gap is where you start hearing people gripe about problems, whether it was marketing griping about, you know, other key stakeholders internally or these key stakeholders griping about the marketing team. Like, well, what happened to them? Why, why are they thinking from a different perspective? And I was like, no, we got we to gotta bring everyone together, create a common language, create a common perspective, create respect across teams, start to break silos down and just really increase collaboration through conversation, through dialogue, through discussion, through discourse. And so when you begin to see things differently, the direct and really measurable result of that is you're going to think about things differently. And that begins to shift the strategic path going forward. But this is where I think you you have to be very mindful if you're watching or listening saying, well, we've done that. We've, we've done some education and and we've tried to tweak our strategy, but we're still struggling. Because I always ask, well, when you see things differently, you're going to think about things differently. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. So we agree on that. Yes. So when you see different and you think different, what's the next logical step in that progression? And Audrey, you know this, Yeah. 98%, 99% will respond to me and say, well, James Arbor, that's easy. I'm going to act different. I'm going to be different. I'm going to do different. And I just pause and I'm like, are you really going to do that? Which is a natural response. It's a very natural response. 
But to bridge the gap between thought and action comes down to one thing. It's the feeling and it's the emotion. That's the secret here to human transformation that leads to digital transformation. That's the secret to human transformation that leads to cultural transformation or brand brand transformation. To bridge the gap between thought and action comes down to feeling and emotion because the desire, the feeling, the emotion to do different, to be different, to act different has to be greater, sometimes exponentially greater than the desire, feeling, the emotion to, to remain the same. This is where the coaching element comes into play. To coach people through those next steps so that they don't fall back on the old paradigms, the old behaviors, the old patterns, the old belief systems that can be a roadblock and an impediment to their future path of growth going forward. I'm glad you brought up the coaching element because, you know, we've seen different organizations come through our program. Sometimes it's a marketing department, sometimes it's an entire organization. When we see those organizations and you're putting marketing, sales, operations, you know, branch managers all in the same room, talking together, sharing the same language. There's people who've never had conversations with other people in the organization. And and we'll put them in these small breakout rooms where they have a chance to distill their learning and knowledge and, and talk about how they can apply it together. How powerful is this? What have you seen transpire when you put all these different departments in one room together for an hour, once a month? What kind of transformations have you seen? Um Sometimes it's hard to describe, and that's where I can just say, go. You know, we have we've captured some of these experiences with conversations, like with Deborah Lumpkin from Centier, with 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 her teammate Tiffany, or with uh, Matt Vance over at Salal, um, Janelle Herrera over at OnTap. They talk about the experience, but from what I observe, it's a decrease in competition and mm-hmm. an increase not in cooperation, but in collaboration. And I want to explain what I mean by that. You know, I think when you look at any organization, there's, there might be, and it might not be fully stated, but there's competition, quote unquote, for internal resources, whether it's capacity, whether it's capability, whether it's capital or cash, there's a, there might be quote unquote, internal competition. And I'm a big believer in collaboration is going to be exponentially greater than competition. Why not cooperation? Why collaboration? Well, something that I learned through my time in strategic coach is cooperation is where you're working together. That's great. That's fantastic. Working together, nothing wrong with that. Collaboration, on the other hand, is where you're co-creating together. That's what I have seen. I have seen when you take two people from two different parts of the organization and you put them in a breakout room and that I've observed this, there's an exchange of ideas and insights that creates something new together going forward that has the potential to be implemented. So there's a tremendous, there's an exponential amount of idea exchange and energy transfer that I have never seen happen in any other type of learning experience. And I've done, you know, 21 years of doing this, uh, keynote speaking, private workshops, but in this type of a particular learning mechanism, it's within these small breakouts that transpire over the course of quarters. And, and in some cases, the course of a year, you create an environment 
where people feel heard, they feel respected, they feel safe, and they're all learning and growing and getting even better together. And then as the individual transform, the teams transform. And when the teams transform, the organization transform, and they're able to move forward aligned because they have clarity, their courage increases, they all commit, and then they move forward with confidence. And sometimes it might just be a couple of small things that they're taking away from each one of these coaching cohorts. But what are we looking for? We're looking for 1% growth. We're not looking for massive organizational-wide transformation overnight. No, 1% here, 1% there, 1% here, 1% there. And over the course of a year, when you look back, man, we've come a long way. Man, we're so much more aligned. We're so much more clear. We've never had these types of conversations and we're co-creating in new ways that we never thought possible. Yeah, it's like they're getting a chance to really gain the perspective of someone else in a different department that they never would have. I know from my experience, I've seen many people comment, oh my gosh, I had no idea or I didn't realize this was happening over in sales or I didn't realize marketing was struggling like that. And, and that's okay. That's, you know, that's normal. Um, but that's why I think it's so important to get to get all these people in the same room. And one of the things that you've talked about before, and I, I don't remember if it's in banking on digital growth or not. I think it is, but you talk about the growth team. Hmm. How might well, first of all, what what is the growth team, and how might that help these organizations move forward towards these goals? Well, it comes back to really how we've you know we've, we've talked about marketing. If you know, marketing has a primary role, um, which is to control the the brand, the messaging, influence people, if you will, to generate leads for the organization, and then from there, sales can pick up those leads, nurture those leads, build the relationship to ultimately close those leads for increased loans and deposits. But instead of working in individual silos with you know a, a competitive perspective, no, let's look at this as collaboration. Let's look at this as a co-creation opportunity where marketing and sales are able to collaborate, work more closely together to become the growth team. And once you've got that piece of the engine working, you can then add a third gear, if you will, and now you've got marketing, you have sales, and you have service all aligned, all collaborating, all co-creating together, and that is what leads to now exponential growth going forward. That's the exponential growth team, if you will. It's almost like you can't have one without the other. Exactly. You, know, you can't bring people in the door and then not have anyone there to help them or close the deal, and then if marketing's not bringing anyone in, then sales doesn't have anything. I think that's where you talk about competition when you realize there's nothing to compete about with marketing and sales because no. your your objective, your purpose is entirely different, but yet they're dependent upon each other. So the sooner we figure out, hey, let's collaborate, let's work together, the more successful and happier we're all going to be. But the only way that that is possible is if we acknowledge that there are, yes, fears of the unknown. That yes, there is a fear to change beliefs, perspectives, habits, and that you know what there's a there's a very real fear of failure. That if we go and try something new, well, we we might fail at it. But as you and I recently talked about on a podcast, it's failure is 
learning. Failure is the fertile soil from which new growth springs anew. And there, you know, if you eliminate the fear of failure and you look at all failure as learning, it changes the whole perspective of how we as individuals, teams, and an organization view failure. There is no fail. You can't fail. You can only learn. And yes, it's a shift. Yes, that takes time to establish and expand that new belief system. But if you think about what drives human behavior, let's unpack this as you know, here we you've got actions that are wrapped up as habits, but what informs our actions? It's our feelings and our emotive state that's that are influenced by our thoughts, which are deeply rooted in our belief systems and structures. So if you're, we're, we're looking at this idea of, you know, marketing has a marketing problem. It's because marketing is misunderstood because the belief systems and structures of what marketing is and why marketing exists. If we can change those belief systems and structures with others within the organization and create a common language and create clarity around the purpose, the role of marketing now going forward in a digital world, but not just marketing, marketing and sales, marketing, sales, and service, the, the interconnectedness of those three relationships, it puts us on a path forward to co-create an even bigger, better, brighter future, not just for our financial brand, but more deeply for our account holders and other people in the communities that we're serving as a financial brand. And that really is such a great, great point and, and great point to wrap up on here. Um, curious for those who are listening out here who, you know, they feel like this conversation is really resonating with them, whether or not they're in marketing or not, um, you know, they feel frustrated or misunderstood or overwhelmed. Let's leave them with one final thought. How can they begin to feel optimistic again? What is one piece of advice you could give them? What is one thing, one step forward that they can take to create this common language in their organization? I would create a learning cohort uh, to where you are committed to meeting at least once a month to reflect back on what you have learned, what you've experienced over the previous month. And this learning cohort would bring together anywhere between eight to 10 to 12, no more than I'd say 15 individuals from different teams, from different areas of the organization. And it could be, well, what have you been reading? What have you been watching? What have you been listening to on podcasts? And you come prepared to where you have kind of a large group discussion. And this can unfold over the course of 90 minutes to a, a half a day. And it's going to be agenda driven. And so you start off with what's been going well. So where have you been winning? What are you excited? What have you learned? What are you looking forward to? But then each person, you, you go into breakout rooms, maybe two or three people. And here's the big thing I learned. Here's why it's important. And then you kind of go around in this like little group of two or three. And then you come back and then you're sharing and reporting back to the larger group, not what you shared, but what you learned from someone else. Because at that point, you're now having to transmute what you received into your own perspective. And that's a learning objective and a learning opportunity in and of itself. So it's almost this like cross-pollination of ideas and insights. And so you do that for maybe 30 minutes. And then finally, you go do another kind of quick breakout based upon what you've learned now from the collective, from this sharing of the minds you go back what's the what's the action 
What's the, what, what's the one thing that I can do next over the next four weeks to apply these insights to continue to make progress within my own area of focus? That's where I would take this going forward. And that's a great point about the action item. I think a lot of times we we take in information, we take in knowledge, but we don't do anything with it. And, and really what good is that if we're not making progress or moving forward? So James Robert, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. I know this is a topic uh, that means a lot to a lot of our listeners, and we appreciate you taking the time today. Absolutely, Audrey. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast.